Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast. My name is Avid Khan, and I talk about bootstrapping, entrepreneurship, and building in public. This episode is called How I Fortunately Failed to Launch an NFT Collection. And this episode is sponsored by MicroAcquire. MicroAcquire is the number one startup acquisition marketplace. It's simply the most efficient way to sell a startup when you're ready to make your next move. And typically, as a first-time founder, you have no idea what you're getting yourself into when you go through an acquisition, and MicroAcquire wants to change that and empower founders like you when they're speaking with buyers and really help streamline the process of getting acquired for the maximum price without any headaches. The traditional routes of selling a business can be quite confusing and often very challenging, and the goal at MicroAcquire is to eliminate that by building innovative tools for buyers and sellers like you that allow for an easy, trusted, and transparent acquisition process. And to date, at MicroAcquire, they have helped hundreds of startups successfully get acquired and facilitated hundreds of millions in close deal volume. Their platform includes a robust community of 100,000 buyers. And there are thousands of startups currently listed ranging from $5,000 to $25 million or more in asking price. Founders get free instant access by creating a profile on MicroAcquire while staying totally anonymous. And if you're thinking about selling your startup at any point, you'll want to check out MicroAcquire. So go to microacquire.com and learn more there. And now let's get started. A few months ago, I ran an NFT experiment that failed horribly. And I put a lot of effort into creating and minting a few pieces of visual art that I thought would resonate with my audience. And then the whole thing fizzled out. And I believe it's time to share this particular failure today. There are thousands of NFT projects and they're battling for attention out there every single day. So let's start with why I chose to add another one to the mix. I've always been curious about Web3. A new frontier, any new frontier really in the world of technology is attractive to me because for all my life, I've been an incurable optimist when it comes to the potential of new ways of using tools or systems or processes to improve humanity. I'm a techno-optimist, I guess. And I've learned that where there's light, there's also shadow, and I'm training myself to see both. So not everything is perfect in any kind of technology. And with Web3, the idea that we can shift the global digital economy towards decentralized and individually controlled organizations, I still see a glowing potential for groundbreaking changes to how we interact with each other. And we'll talk about the bad sides too, right? That obviously are things that are not perfect, but I still see the, this, this really, really huge potential for this to make a significant difference. And my foray into that field was initially inspired by a conversation with my friends Jamie Russo and Craig Burgess on our podcast called the Objectively Amazing Podcast. Jamie and Craig were talking about the potential of this technology to empower creators. And Jamie had worked with designers and Craig was a visual artist. So, and he still is, I guess. But yeah, you know, at that point. So they both were experienced in interesting creator experiments. They, they had access to this in the NFT space and beyond profile picture collections. They had seen interesting stuff and they were talking about how they both had purchased digital art from their peers, people that they admired and cherished for their skills and ideas and the impact that they had on the community. And while listening to Jamie and Craig chat about this, I noticed that all I had seen and heard of at that point were designers and visual artists minting NFTs. It was a distinctly visual medium in which those experiments took place. And I wondered, while I was listening to those uh, two chaps chatting, if I could bridge that for writers in some way. 
because I'm not a visual artist at all. Most of my work is expressed through text and maybe voice like this podcast. And I felt that writers were missing out on this moment in the technology where creators started to be supported directly by their admirers, like Jamie and Craig having bought NFTs from their peers. And generally, I feel that writers are very much underserved when it comes to crowdsource support. I mean, they're generally underserved. There isn't that much tool tooling, I guess, for um, for writers, particularly in the nonfiction space. There's a lot of stuff that is still lacking. And even for crowdsourcing, books are rarely kickstarted. And even if you see book Kickstarter projects, it's usually by people who have a lot of clout already, people who are huge in their spaces. I think Brandon Sanderson just recently started a Kickstarter project. He's he's a fiction writer and he wrote wrote amazing stories. I have a couple books right here next to me. The the Mistborn trilogy and there's the the whole Stormlight Archive saga, which is in, incredible. And that writer kickstarted a couple books for next year which netted him a couple million in Kickstarter profits, but he has distribution already. He's not a self-published writer in in the sense that he's trying to sell his first couple hundred books, right? He's established. So even if you kickstart a book, there's still distribution. And this actual distribution of physical books is mainly in the hands of Amazon and other massive networks out there. And even digital books still rely on these larger platforms for discoverability. Like if you want to sell an ebook, obviously you can sell it on Gumroad, but you probably want to sell it on Amazon as well so people can just search for your work on Amazon while they're already purchasing other things. So, you know, discoverability, distribution, and funding, just crowdsourcing in general, still heavily underserved. And what I saw happening in this digital artist Web3 space was the reversal of the need for intermediaries like the ones I just mentioned and more direct compensation a direct exchange of money between the artist and the consumer of the art was becoming a real possibility through this technology. So that's where my NFT idea was born. And I wanted to see if there was a chance for a self-published writer like me to mint visual NFTs in some way, allowing my readers to support me in other ways than buying my books. I wanted to connect some part of my written work with a community of people who appreciated and actively sought visual art from people they knew and found interesting. So I had to come up with a way to channel text, my writing, into the visual form. So I just found the most highlighted sections of my first book by checking the number of highlights on the Kindle version. I took out my Kindle and I looked at what other people had highlighted, took a pen, an actual pen, and an actual paper, and then I wrote out those quotes by hand on pieces of paper. Ten of them. Then I scanned, traced, and digitized those manuscript fragments and minted the resulting images as 10 NFTs on OpenSea. And I was excited about the prospects of this experiment, and I shared the project with my audience. And not much happened. A few people checked it out, and one person reluctantly, I guess, posted a bid for one of the images. And um, kind of was somewhat disappointed, but also not. And I started to feel like, hmm, this is weird. And I noticed at that point that I had already made several mistakes. First off, I listed the 10 NFTs on the Ethereum blockchain using OpenSea's action bidding feature, right? You could bid um, on these NFTs right there. And that means that once I receive a bid I would like to accept, I would need to finalize this with a transaction on the blockchain. 
And all transactions on the chain have a cost. And that's a cost I had not factored into the price. The bid was somewhere around 0.05 Ether, which is like, yeah, I don't, I don't even know, maybe like 30 bucks, something like that. Or at that point, at least it was. And when I went to accept the offer, the gas fee for accepting it was 0.07, which is like 45 some bucks. So I would have to pay more to accept the bid than what I would actually get for my artwork. And that was not a good start, I can tell you this. It was weird. Like, I could, I had, would have to spend more in transaction fees than what I would actually get. It was bizarre. And I had to explain this to the person who had fielded the bid. And we figured out a way out of this. So I had to take my NFTs off the Ethereum chain and move them to the Polygon chain, which OpenSea also offers. And in the most basic terms, the Polygon blockchain compresses many different transactions into one single transaction on the Ethereum chain. And that saves a lot of gas fees. So it's cheaper. And with that, I'd be able to sell my NFTs without overpaying when I actually accepted a bid. So I had to take down all my NFTs from one chain and republish them on the other chain and was a lot of work. And it changed how I could sell these NFTs even because Polygon only supported fixed prices. And that meant there was no chance for me to see how much people would want to bid for my work. I had to come up with price points for them to either buy or ignore. So I would set the price and I didn't really want that. And I, already I felt like this was a pretty limited experiment but I kept going. I put up all the 10 files with increasing prices. I started at 0.03 and then 0.05, you know, 7, 9, 11, and so on. And then I made a little video and created a landing page for the collection on my blog. And I posted it on Twitter and linked it in my newsletter once. And then never again. I sold the one NFT that somebody had already bid on right after moving into the new chain and nothing else ever sold. And quite frankly, the... The feeling buried somewhere deep in my subconscious was that I was happy about that, the fact that nothing ever sold. And it took me a while to adequately reflect on this because I've been occupied with creating my Twitter course recently and writing my weekly articles. So I forgot about this experiment after it died out because, you know, there was some reason, some nagging reason. But recently, I found some time to really think about why I didn't feel like marketing my collection. And I noticed I didn't want to market it. It felt like something I shouldn't do. And this is not the kind of, whoa, this product needs no marketing, it will speak for itself kind of talk. This is not build it and they will come. No, with the NFT collection, some part of me was unwilling to be affiliated with the whole idea. So let me be honest with you today. I may have lied to myself when I set out to create this collection. I thought I was creating an experiment to see if writers could leverage NFTs to connect with their audience, but my foundational motivation was to see if I could make money off NFTs. The writer's empowerment angle, that was a secondary concern. It was still real, but it was not the primary thing. I saw people cashing out on the internet JPEGs, and I also wanted to do that. I had a case of the FOMO, an incredibly self-centered fear of missing out on the juicy digital money-making opportunity. And admitting this to myself immediately made it obvious why this didn't work out for me. It was a genuinely selfish act somewhere between money grab and info product, but mostly an attempt to sell something to prove that it can be done. And that's not enough. And it's not a place from which I want to operate. Luckily, my subconscious knows that, knew that at the time and told me later what it really was and prevented me from diving into creating more hype around this collection. In a few Twitter spaces and podcast episodes I've listened to in the few last months impacted my thinking about this significantly. People I had a lot of respect for are now shilling the NFT projects that they have a stake in. 
for some reason. And they're telling people to hodl and to have diamond hands and all that crypto lingo. They use their expertise in one field, usually SaaS founders or people who come from an entrepreneurial background, to convince people to buy into crypto projects that reek of multi-level marketing schemes. And I have lost a lot of respect for several names in the field just from that. They have shown their colors, and no matter how much they convince themselves that there is true potential in those projects, scheme or not, their actions speak volumes. And I don't want to be associated with that kind of behavior. Not even a little bit. And that's why I had problems marketing my collection. Even knowing that this was really just a genuinely harmless collection of 10 images, it felt that by playing in the same arena, I was associating with the people I had been so incredibly disappointed by. And this risk of affiliation was too much for me. Subconsciously then and very consciously now, and it ultimately made me suffocate my own marketing efforts, sabotage them even. And in the end, I'm glad the experiment worked out the way it did, because I did learn something from all of this. First off, crypto is expensive, and it can quickly lead to the sunk cost fallacy driven actions, right? like what I did. I could have eaten the gas fees for accepting my first bid because it was an experiment, but no, I needed to make money on this. So I spent hours relisting the files just for a chance to make a few hundred dollars. At the FOMO that I used to laugh at in others had hit me hard. And I don't love money. I love writing. And trying to force one into the other just doesn't work for me. One thing I learned, though, was that my love for writing isn't just limited to the digital realm, in which I write almost all my articles, scripts, and books. Writing out those passages by hand was incredibly enjoyable, too. It was fun to take something that I had only typed and then shape it onto a page with ink. There's something fundamentally satisfying about that act. And it was also a very secluded and isolated act. It's just the pen, the paper, and me. The total opposite of artificial hype. I don't want my work to be hyped. I just want it to be genuinely respected and enjoyable. So there we have it. I started out with a false and self-delusional premise. I noticed how my actions went against my beliefs and then I pulled the plug. I mean, I might create something else in the Web3 space in the future. And at that point, I hope to sense my true intentions more clearly and create something that benefits not just me, but also those who it's supposed to inspire and instruct. And for now, I'll stick with writing. And that's it for today. Thank you for listening to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Avidkal, A-R-V-I-D-K-A-H-L. You'll find my book, Zero to Soul, and The Embedded Entrepreneur, and my Twitter course, Find Your Following, there as well. If you want to support me in the Bootstrap Founder Podcast, please leave a rating and a review by going to ratethispodcast.com slash founder. Thank you very much for listening, and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.